Uh, my thing says mute. Should I push that button? Or no, am you're I coming unmuted. Through? I, I am. Just, oh, wait. Is it blinking? It's red. No, if it's blinking, it's muted. Oh, great. Well, yes. Testing one, two, three. Hi. <laughs> Use my bucket. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Funny Girl Podcast. This week, I am with the lovely Chris Cafaro, who is an actor, writer, comedian, and producer newly based in Los Angeles. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's great to have you. Yeah, I'm very excited. So we were just chatting before, and then I realized I needed to click record because I didn't want to lose any of the sweet stuff, the good stuff. But basically, like I think like six or seven years ago when I was taking like improv one at the pit Mm -hmm. i saw you with uncle function you guys were performing there i think it was like a christmas special with chloe Feynman. yeah with chloe Feynman. and i remember seeing you guys and being like oh fuck like this was another part of what really inspired me to try to do a level of performing so that's very sweet yeah it's exciting and we'll get more into like the specifics of like the sketch group and things like that but i'm just so happy to have you here obviously and that was the show by the way that launched Chloe Feynman. I think we you were the, really are the reason you that put her she on the is, map. Yeah, where she is. You're like SNL wouldn't even have known. Well, and they invited all of us, and we were like, just just take Chloe. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, we we're a little too big for SNL. Yeah, actually, we, we can't. got other stuff, but you could. We'll give you Chloe. Um, <laughs> But no, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Like we were saying, like, you know, I know you say being asked to do anything is is a treat. Yeah, truly. Usually I have to pay a therapist to do this. (laughs) (laughs) So you did newly move here. Like you moved here just a few months ago from New York. Yes, November 1st. So how has that been feeling so far? I kind of want to start off more broad, but what has it been like for you? I mean, I don't know how much you've been doing in terms of performing and like... Obviously, there's a big comedy scene and just mm-hmm. entertainment scene both in New York and Los Angeles. But how has it been adjusting to a place like New York coming to Los Angeles for you? It's been, uh, it's still, if I had to grade it, I'd say incomplete because we're still like getting <laughs> settled, you know, um, and trying to learn the territory. I'm going to a lot of shows, particularly, you know, with the comedy scene to see, you know, what's what and where to go and what to do. Um, and the weather has been abysmal. And it, it actually makes me furious. It's rained, I, I've counted, it has rained more days than it hasn't since I've moved here in November, in two months. I just feel like that's so, you're probably like, I might as well just be in New York at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know you don't want to hear this, but when I'm... <laughs> I'm already angry, but... <laughs> when I moved here a few years ago, like, I swear to God, there was like two years where I was like, I can count on two hands how many days it rained. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Of course, that's what. But see, the, the rain isn't pissing me off as much as the attitude of people who live in LA who are acting like it's normal. They're like, "Yeah, that's winter in LA. This is just what it is." And I'm like, "No, this isn't normal. No, everyone always talks about the weather and how nice it is. That's your whole thing." Like you, you feel like you're borderline in a simulation here because yeah. the weather is so. I'm nice. being gaslit. Yeah. By people who are like. No, yeah, it ran in January. It's rainy. And I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> I would have been so angry. I feel like it's annoying because you're like, maybe it's just people from the East Coast. I don't know, people that are here like, this is what it always is like. Like, at least it's not snowing. I'm like, snow is nice. I'd actually prefer Snow's to have beautiful. fucking beautiful snow yeah. than this. 
Then this is the best when the thing came out a few days ago and they were like, oh, there's no drought anymore. I was yeah. like, oh, fuck. Okay, it's that bad. Yeah. I think I read 24 trillion gallons of rain have fallen in the last two months since oh I've been God. here. And you're and I'm like, what? you're just boat. You're just you know taking a boat to your next comedy show and being like you know waving bye. Yeah. I would have been so infuriated if I was you. I mean, listen, I we're, this is the thing. It's only gonna get nicer. We'll give a few more months, and then if anyone says it, just give them a little. I don't know if you're a hitter. You probably shouldn't do yeah. a little slap. A little. Well, I'm Italian, of course. Uh, I yeah, am. me too. Yeah, so yeah. We, we slap. It's just to let people know. Like I'm like even when I'm recording episodes, sometimes I'll. I don't like to record video too much unless it's like a video chat type of thing. But right. I, my the amount of times I use my hands when I'm talking, like it's actually it's a stereotypical, but it's almost embarrassing. Like, uh-huh. like I feel like someone needs to just zoom in on just my hands when I'm talking, and like you could see a whole show without right. like if there if it was muted or no video. And I don't know where it stems from. Like the first Italian, it's in that's your just, blood. It really is. Yeah. It really, really is. I don't know why. I do it a lot too, and I do a lot of voiceover work. And so <laughs> when I'm doing it, I'll like get animated and I'll I'll clip the mic, you know? And the producer will be like, okay, could we do that again? You hit the mic. And I'm like, yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> just trying to get into it. <laughs> it would be smart if they just recorded like just like the bottom half of your hand to just see what it was like. Um, so funny. Just leading into kind of more my first question in terms of like entertainment related stuff when i know that you were you grew up in connecticut yes and then you started acting roughly around 15 years old Mm -hmm. um when did you know that you wanted to be a performer i normally ask people on the podcast when do they know that they were funny or want Mm -hmm. to be a comedian but i think for you it's a little bit of a broader spectrum because you obviously are a comedian but Mm -hmm. i think you even in terms of like the last five or so years too have been really involved in like acting and doing things like that not specifically just comedy stuff so when did you kind of know that you were a funny and then also knew like i want to be a performer entertainer actor yeah well so the funny part i mean some would argue i'm not so <laughs> thank you for saying i am um but uh i think you know growing up i was so undersized like i was very small for my age group and I didn't go through puberty till I was like 29, um, but but it was like so it was it was a defense mechanism, you know. I mean that's a tale as old as time. Um, but I remember when I was young, I was like third grade. I remember making my dad laugh when I was in trouble, and Ooh. and it like diffused the situation, and I got out of trouble, and that's when the when it clicked to me that like oh being funny is almost like a secret weapon where yeah. you can like especially when you're a kid and you can make adults laugh, you can you can get away with a lot. Um, and wow. I came from a very funny family. Like, my dad's very funny. My oh, mom, really? My mom's also very funny. Yeah, they're not performers or comedians. My dad's a politician, so he... Or was a politician. Wait, are you he, fucking kidding no, me? No, I'm serious. Yeah. So he would, you know... He's like, my kids, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're comedians. Yeah, exactly. Because my brother's, you know, doing this too. But um, it's... Yeah, you know, so he was, you know, he was a public speaker a lot, but he he was very funny, and his comedy is what endeared him, I think, to a lot of people, and um, and so we grew up in a a funny house, in my opinion. Um, so that was always, you know, part of it, and you know, being able to make my dad laugh and get out of trouble or teachers, that was like, oh, okay, this is something that I need to lean into for the rest of my life because I. I can't, you know. It's like a secret weapon. Like I yeah. think when 
like I've always joke about this, like everyone wants to laugh. Like no one ever, unless you just have a literal stick up your ass. Like I think that most people like do find, like it makes you feel good when you're laughing or you're like in a good, it puts you in a better mood. So when things are very tense or stressful or overwhelming or like uncomfortable, especially with growing up, like with parents, I think the dynamic can sometimes get very like stern, like, listen, I'm your parent, listen to me, like you're doing this wrong. So if you're able to crack a joke and it hits, like you're kind of like, well, I'm not in trouble anymore. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. And sometimes you cross a line and you get in even more trouble than you would have if you had just shut your mouth. Oh, but, 100%. But I've done that so many learn. times. There was one time when I was way too young. I think I was like 13 years old. This sounds so obnoxious, but I was in Italy with my family. Where and, were you? Um, I'm The White Lotus in yeah. Sicily? <laughs> I'm like, hello. <laughs> I am from um, an area in Italy called Bari. It's mm-hmm. in Puglia. So the town is called Sanicandro. Sanicandro di Bari. This also is a quick pivot. I'm just going to say, I really can't stand when people, like, specifically Italian, because I slash we are Italian, mm-hmm. when someone is, like, super fucking American and doesn't know how to speak Italian, and then they, like, use specific words and mm-hmm. say them in a really Italian... I'm actually going to use this in my stand-up. Like, one, my one best friend from home, she's, like, as fucking English-American as you can get. And she'll be talking to someone who, like, no, she's Italian. Like her right. last name, you hear it, whatever. We'll be at a restaurant and she'll just be talking and be like reading the menu and be, she'll be like, oh, you know what? Like, thank you so much. I think I'm just going to get the prosciutto di parma and the gnocchi di aglio gnocchi. I'm like, you don't speak Italian. Yeah. So anytime someone asks like where I'm from or like where I am, I feel like I want to be like Sani Condro di Bari in Puglia. <laughs> Because I don't want to like sound like an asshole, right. but I have to say it right. Because you sound like a, like a study abroad student who's like, I went to Barcelona. Like, I'm like, I went to Firenze. And yeah. it's like, no, you don't even know what the fuck. Like, yeah. you, and, then you, and then there's like a flash like forward and there's a video of you just like looking around, like asking people for like where the like elephant is when you're trying to say like, where's the restaurant? <laughs> like that was me. That's but funny. all that was to say, just backtracking what you were saying in terms of like, parents and like laughing with them and stuff like that there was this one time when i was in italy with my dad and i meant to call him a dork that was the word i was trying to say oh no but he was really mad and i was just like oh my god like you're such a douchebag (laughs) (laughs) and he literally just you could see in his eyes he wanted to laugh right like you and that's probably something you've dealt with a lot too with your parents where like they like are in the middle of scolding you and i was like oh dad like so annoying you're such a douche bag like i meant to call him dork i was in timeout in like this little like fucking like room for two and a half hours because i called him that i was like a youth right so it was deserved but now that we talk about it all the time he was like that was one of the funniest things you've ever said it's very funny how old are you like 13 yeah that's funny like i don't know as a parent how i'd feel about that if someone said it to me yeah i think when you like the first time your child calls you a douchebag is a seminal <laughs> moment in every parent's life. So He's like, she's going to be a character. So you felt like you, it was a mix of like having a funny uh, upbringing and household, but you felt like you also had used it as a defense mechanism. I think I can 100%. relate to that too. What, what felt like you became like, the, were you like the funny class clown type of person? Like what made you feel like you really needed to do that? Just because were people commenting on your height or was it more oh, just yeah, an all insecurity the time. for you? You like, get picked on all the time. And so like th- that was, cause I was like very undersized. So uh, just to give you an example, I, I wrestled and you know, they have weight classes in high school. My sophomore year, February of my sophomore year of high school, I weighed in at 96 pounds. 
that's oh that was my weight class. So oh I was God. I was small. Were you like small. scrawny small or oh, just yeah. short? No, I was really short and jacked. Really? <laughs> no, I was very scrawny. <laughs> I was very scrawny. I can see you being short and jacked, no, to be honest. No, no, no. Um, yeah, I was just like skinny, skin and bones and like short. And um, and so, you know, you're hanging with the bigger kids and so you find your thing. Also, I was a middle child, which, you know, you can unpack as much as you want. Yeah, there's a whole thing to that as well. Yeah, I don't believe much in astrology stuff, but a birth order stuff, every time I hear something, I'm like, oh yeah, that's incredibly accurate. It's so spot on. Like, I believe, I'm like, I am very big in that. Like, you meet people and you talk to them and then like after a few months of knowing them, they'll be like, blah, blah, like, I'm a middle child. You're like... Of course you fucking are. Yeah. You fucking knew it. Like I'm a middle child and I feel like this tracks. Do you yeah. know what I mean? 100%. Just like you're you're ping-ponged around. Like you're not the first child so you don't have like all of like the hard kind of lessons being taught to you but you're not the last one where they're like you just do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. I don't really care. Like, or the baby. Yeah. The one who's like literally baby the whole time. Right. Then there's you that they're like wait what's our what's our middle kid's name again? Right. So you gotta fight you know you gotta fight for the attention. Yeah. Um, and you know, not that I was neglected, but, you know, so that's part of it. And so that's how you, you know, so it all sort of coalesced that way. And then I didn't start performing until um, when I was in high school. My sister went behind my back and signed me up for a a talent show. What? Or like a, yeah, like this charity talent show with her, one of her friends who was a senior. And I was a, a huge fan of comedy. Like I would watch, you know, reruns of Conan and SNL and uh, Comedy Central stand-up all the time. So you always had kind of like a passion for comedy, yeah. even from a younger age, before you got on stage yourself. Yes, 100%. So my sister went and signed me up without my knowledge uh, to do um, the Spartan Cheerleader sketch from uh, SNL with Sherry O'Terry and Will Ferrell. Oh and again, undersized. I played the Sherry O'Terry role. So real quick, sorry, just to get more understanding. How did she secret? Like, how did you... Sign, like, how did you go on stage? If she secretly signed you up, how did that happen? I mean, she signed us up. We got chosen as the act. And then it was like, and then we had weeks to prepare, you know, a couple weeks to prepare. So it wasn't like, come on up, Chris. It was like, you know, you guys have been selected. And it, and so I was like, you know. Well, you got to commit. I wasn't fighting it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so performing at that, like, for the first time and, like, getting laughs on stage that was just, I mean, it was like a drug, you know, yeah. it's, and so you get the bug and that was really the, the starting point from a performance standpoint. And there was a parent in the audience who worked with a, an agency in New York and they were like, Hey, I think you should interview with the youth department of this agency. And so I did. And I've been with that agency ever since Holy for commercials. Shit. Yeah. So you literally, the first time you got on stage, you would kind of got scouted unintentionally. Yes. Uh-huh. Which is... That's unheard of. It's unheard of. And it's such a blessing. But in many ways, I think it also was served as a detriment because it gave me this false sense of... Oh, you're like, I'm going to be a star. Like, oh, yeah. It was like... And then the first audition I, w I went out for, I booked. And it was... Oh, geez. For like a, it was a small voiceover thing for radio. But it was just like, oh... So this is how it happened. This is how it works. You, it just works. And then you go through, then, you know, in your twenties, you go five years without booking anything. And you're like, oh, you're shit. like, this is how it works. Yeah. And your agents drop you and you're like, okay, 
So Shit. I was wrong. So you felt like it, it was a blessing and a curse because it it showed you that you clearly you have the capability and potential. The fact that you hadn't even taken classes at that point, I'd imagine, like any right. specific you know comedy classes or acting classes, and you just have it because some people kind of just have it or not, and then mm-hmm. it's a matter of perfecting it. Right. So it was nice in that way for you to like you're like I felt so good being on stage because I know that feeling the first time you're on stage and you get off and you're like oh I want to do it again. Right. So that was really nice, but then in terms of maybe having almost like a I don't want to say like a blind optimism, but maybe a little of that because that it sets you up for being like, great, I can do this, but why isn't it working as like five or 10 years go by? Like, did that feel kind of like, was there times where you were kind of questioning what your path was or did you always know deep down that you wanted to do this? I always knew deep down that I wanted to do it. And that was the start of it because it was, first of all, when you're good at something and people tell you you're good at something, you're like, oh, well, hell yeah, yeah, let's lean in. Um, but yeah, I mean, you doubt all the time, but you're, especially the older you get when you're like, yeah, how much longer can I do this? How, I, I, I mean, every audition you don't get, every rejection, it takes a little piece of you that you, you really don't get back and it wears on you. But you, you know, you have to, you have to dig deep and say like, hey, is this what I want? And I, I do think that the, the failures actually are important because they make you ask that important question which is how how much do i want this yeah is it worth it yeah and it's a test in, in its own way you know it tests you and it kind of i think it'll weed weeds people out it weeds the people that are really committed versus mm-hmm. people that are like oh i just kind of want to try it out you know not saying that there's a lot of people like that but this isn't a gig where it's not like a situation where you're working a job and like you get an interview and then you just you're set for X amount of years. It's like uh-huh. you get hired for something and it might be a project for a few months or a few years or like you know what I mean, things like that or like finding a group, but then there's days where or weeks where it's dead. I I'd imagine and it just feels probably a little bit like fuck, okay, like I have to keep trucking along and working and that's right. really what like separates the two. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you know, there's a little bit of like preventing yourself from thinking well what else you know it's like that explorer who when they got to south america told everyone to burn the boats because you know we're here there's no going back um i don't recommend that yeah. and i don't like burning <laughs> boats or bridges or anything but like, wow but there is a little bit of like because you know i out of college i had other job offers because i studied something different and um what did you study in college i studied political science Wow. Yeah, I went to school in D.C., so that was oh, you know, the place to be. Did you? What did you think you wanted to be? Well, because your dad was a my dad was or politics. is a politician, so yeah. I can understand that when you were growing up, you're like, okay, fuck it, like I I will figure this out. I feel like there's always that impact from your parents in terms of career path. Hundred percent, and, and I I'm still very passionate about politics. I love politics, and um, I always knew I wanted to be an actor, but I wanted to have sort of a you know, a broader perspective. Also, I was, you know, again, to that early success, when I went to college, I got, I went on a theater scholarship and an academic scholarship. So I had to like do both. And then the, I was very unhappy after the first year with the theater program. And part of that was because they weren't, it, it was a flawed program. And part of that was arrogance of like, well, I don't need to do this because I've, I've been to New York. I have an agent in New York. Right. And it's like, dude, you're a piece of shit. You know, like if I could go back, and, <laughs> you look back at your younger self, yeah. and you're like, dude, they, like the, when an ego when ego gets involved, I think especially mm-hmm. in this type of career path, like I think it, it becomes detrimental more than people realize. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I wasn't a jerk, but like no, the, that no, first, just... like for example, they well, first of all, 
the the week before we started my freshman year, the head of the program died like suddenly and unexpectedly. Oh it was my very, God. very sad. And so then there was this oh, chaos and disorganization about which way to take the program. Oh, so it would have been a bit different maybe than you expected. Yeah. And then also they, you know, they made me uh, as part of the the scholarship you know, requirements, they make you audition for all the plays, which is normal and great. And I auditioned for the main stage play my first week of college. And the rule was freshmen are not allowed to get cast, but you have to audition. And so I was like, all right, whatever. What's the point of that? Exactly. And it pissed me off. So I auditioned and the director came out and was like, hey, can you come to callbacks? And I was like, I'm a freshman. I, I was like, but why? Like, sure. And so then she had me read with all of the women who were up for the lead female role. And so we did it. And I was there for like two hours. And afterwards, she like pulled me aside. She was like, listen, I'm talking to the program director. Like, you need to be playing this role. You know, I'm going to see. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. And they wouldn't let me do it. And so, so she literally wanted to give you the role. She wa- She tried and she argued. What, what was the logic behind that? Like, why Freshmen would- aren't allowed to do shows. That that that's it. They just had a rule, and they and so that really was like that's costing the like the the production of the show. Like yeah, I mean the show, you know the show. Well, it's awesome. Yeah, exactly. But still, do you know what I mean? Like but, it's it's like if you were made for the part, or the role was for you, and then they gave it to someone that's like no disrespect, like you know second best, or just like not there. It's like mm-hmm. it, it change even if it's like a a five person show with no budget, or if it's at a school, or if it's in like fucking Broadway, it's still really affects it. I can't believe that. I'm actually shocked by that. I, I don't even understand why they would do that. Yeah. You're like, why'd you have me come to callbacks? <laughs> right. And you know, you're, you're, you're a freshman in college or you're, you're an idealist and you're like, well, this isn't right. This isn't how it should be. And of course this, that is exactly how it is now. You know, uh, in DC I did improv classes and stuff there. Um, and then I, you know, I did I was in a fraternity and I worked on Capitol Hill. You were in a frat? Oh, I sure was. Sigma Chi, baby. No way! You were in Sigma Chi? I was. And you have Sigma Chi at at, Syracuse. I was at Syracuse. Yeah. Sigma Chi is like one of the top houses. Well, they're one of the best fraternities in the world, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you were... Here's the thing. I feel like when someone tells me that they're in Greek life, if you say, yeah, you seem like you would be, Mm -hmm. it's kind of offensive. Sure, I guess. I, I'm not offended. I'm a huge defender of Greek life. You're a big frat bro? I'm no, I'm a I'm a fraternity man. <laughs> and I I'm a fraternity man. I, I I'm a big defender of the, the Greek life system. I understand a lot of the drawbacks and the negativity, of course. Um Did you have hazing? We did not have hazing. Oh, that's no. why see this well, is of why. course. Well and, and I don't believe in hazing, I think that's ridiculous. I mean look Terrible things happen in fraternities, but I don't think fraternities are the problem because if you if you remove the Greek lettering at any school, the same shit happens. Yeah. There's going to be parties, there's going to be houses, there's going to be groups of guys who hang out and groups of girls who hang out, and you know it just happens. And I think especially in a college setting, I, I guess I yeah. of course it's not like fraternities invented parties and craziness and so debauchery. So where, where did you go to college? George Washington University in D.C. Yeah. Chris Caffaro, Sigma Chi, GW. That's right. Wow. Uh, I'm learning a lot about you. I thought president, I knew it all. <laughs> former president. You were the president? I sure was. 
of Chris. the United States. Of America. <laughs> no. Yeah, I was the president of Was your dad proud of you? He was like, oh, politics. You're just president. <laughs> <laughs> he was proud of me. Well, I still credit that as being a president of a fraternity was the single most uh, like formative experience of my life. Because it's, I mean, if I'm buttering it up, you are the CEO of uh, an organization with an $80,000 budget. You have 90 guys that you have to look after. We had a $1.8 million house that was endowed to us that we had to look after. Um, and But we did a lot of great stuff. We raised thousands and tens of thousands of dollars for philanthropy. Big philanthropy. I, we, I was the philanthropy chair in my story. Listen. No one wants to talk about that. No one wants to talk about we we implemented something called the Sigma Chi Day of Service, where every brother had to um, perform twenty four hours of service uh, in a school year of community oh, service. Oh, in the okay, I, th- mm-hmm. I thought like just twenty four hours straight of just yeah, like, picking no. up trash. I'm like, although yeah. they do that, right? The danceathons or whatever. Yeah, um, those are nuts. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, <laughs> But we got a shout out from a, a young woman named Michelle Obama for our uh, philanthropy work. Michelle Obama. Yes. Yeah. Do you know her? Have you heard? heard I don't know. Her? Just once or twice. Like, yeah, what yeah. does she She's, do? Uh, so she was. Um, yeah. Wait, so she, she said thank you to Sigma Chi. She gave our commencement address at my graduation, and she like was talking about some of the great things and great programs. Uh, at the school, and she mentioned Sigma Chi and Sigma Chi Day of Service. Did she think President Chris Caffera? She did not. No, no, she did not. I did not get a shout. So out. you are you one of the guys in fraternities who hates being referred to as like a fratty boy or frat bro <laughs> or like a natty light lover guy like that? I don't. I don't mind it because it's like whatever. I, I get it that the stereotype exists for a reason. It also depends. I hate to pull this card, but it really depends on where you went to school. Sure. Because going to a place like Syracuse, like the Greek life, was like. Do you remember that TV show Greek on ABC Family? Yes. That to a T. Like sure. I swear to God. Like and I like you seem like a well-rounded guy. Like you you seem like a great guy. Like I trust you to like you know, be a president of a house and like so lead much. it in the right direction. But That's one I, vote. I, <laughs> like, these so are the much. wins. But I just think there was such a an abuse of power for some people. Like I think it was almost an excuse, like the hierarchy of it. Like I think like at a place like Syracuse, like I, I, I during Greek life, I loved it. Like I was so one of those girls that was like, yeah, like I was an alpha feast. So I was right. like, just fucking whatever this is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, whatever that sign is, I wish we got this, but yeah. we did not. And it's just you'll you'll meet people that you look back, and it's kind of like there's an there's a healthy aspect of getting close with people and brotherhood and things mm-hmm. like that. But then there's a very thin line where it ends up becoming, I don't know, like an unhealthy like power trip. Sure. And I, I yeah. I'd imagine at GW maybe it was a little bit different because there wasn't like an actual campus, wasn't it? Kind of in the city. Yes and no. I, it was. It is a city school, but there's definitely a defined campus. But okay. it's not like you like know, Syracuse, Syracuse is like a literal like mini town city, or sure. city. Yeah. yeah, and it's like there's like two frat rows and things like that. And looking back, I loved it, and there was so much philanthropy and there was so much good stuff to it. But there's also like. A big part of when I've, I've been trying to write comedy and stuff, like I look back on shit that I've experienced or things that have happened like during like the Greek life era, if you will. And mm-hmm. I'm like, 
how is this? Yeah. How did this happen? Like, do you know what I mean? But I also think it's that's just college because like I've visited friends at school that don't have Greek life, and it's the same. It's the same. Yeah, you're right. You know, you're like right. you have the the hockey house, or you have you the know ski the house. girls' soccer house. Like people get together, and that's just college. And I think fraternities are an easy target, and sometimes deservedly so. But I mean, I'm listen, whatever. It's you know it's something you did then. <laughs> And it's I'm proud you. of what I did. It shaped me. I, the thought of going to a fraternity house or party right now makes me physically ill. Me too. Uh, I would like, like crouch on the ground like crying yeah. if someone asked me to go. It's like SantaCon. Like, oh my God. Listen, I did SantaCon. I did it several times in, in my early 20s. And you know what? It was so much fun. It was so much fun. Why do I hate it so much now? Because you're not a part of it. Like, I love Santa Con in New York so much. But then I look back and I'm like, it was very snowy. Mm-hmm. You would just like fucking take like five tequila shots run down a street i slept on the ice a few times here or there you get to mm. one bar it's cramped right it's sweaty it's disgusting it's a it's a terror yeah it's oh it's a nightmare but it's fun <laughs> as long as you know i mean look there's there's the bad apples and the outliers and the, the pieces of shit but you know the concept of it is like let's all get dressed up and celebrate something that's amazing well, who doesn't want that that's true it's a form of camaraderie. Yeah, but I'm not precious about the fraternity thing. I always I, I joke that uh, you know the people who are most likely to get mad about pronouns, different pronouns, are the same guys who don't want you to call your fraternity a frat. Oh, hundred like, percent. It's like all right, dude. I God said that we shorten words for efficiency, bro. Yeah, as no, you go to the gym. And then stop at the deli. Like, but no if they're okay, like, if they're okay with calling you bro and not brother, why are they okay? Not okay with frat exactly. fraternity. I said that in an early episode, like the first five, because me and the person I started the podcast with, we were both in Greek life at Syracuse. We were in different houses, mm-hmm. and we joked about that. And I'll never forget this one time. I was like, oh, look, and ironically enough, it was Sig Kai. My friend was like with me and we were out and I was like, oh my God, like I, you know, like I was in Greek life. I was in Alpha Phi, like, you know, like trying to act like I was embarrassed that I was in a house, but yeah. also it was like, whatever. I'm super like one of those chill girls who's like picking yeah, me I'm around. not like the other Yeah, girls. I'm not like, I'm a guy's girl. I have so many guy friends. No, but so then the guy comes up and he's like, oh, like, hi. And I was like, oh, you know, it's so funny. Like he was actually in Sig Kai at Syracuse and he just turns to me and he looks at her and he's just like, Sigma Kai. And you know, it's just. That's, no. It, it gives me the ick. That's gross. It, it, that is gross. But it's also like, you would never be like, I'm going to the gymnasium, brother, <laughs> to work out my gluteus maximus. Like, no. It's so going to the gym, true. Stopping at the deli, bro. Uh, the delicatessen. Yeah, going to the delicatessen. Like, shut up, dude. It's also, just... the, the popular thing was always, don't call my fraternity a fret. Would you call your country a cunt? And I'm like, what an insane <laughs> analogy, A. Eh? But also, have oh you seen God. the country lately? Yeah, so I think I. She's I think acting we like a little bit so maybe I would. <laughs> You're like, listen, this question still is realistic for us. Is yeah. it country a cunt? It's like kind of been a little bit of a bitch lately. Yeah, but it, I don't so like, like to use that word. No, it's so vulgar, and we're not British, so it doesn't feel. It right. It doesn't sound classy when you say it. When you right. curse in British, it's like fucking like oh, wow. some posh shit right oh there. God, yeah. When we say it, it's like. Go away. Yeah. Go to jail. Yeah, it's violent. But yes, I I am a proud fraternity man. Yeah. Well, I, I this is why I love doing the podcast because I learn things that I wouldn't have learned. Like I bet you, when, if we had normal conversation, we would have gotten here. Mm-hmm. I would have. If there was like a multiple choice question for aspects of you, and one of them was like president of fraternity, I'd be like, no. Really? Yeah. Oh, because I feel like people. Do you feel see like you give that vibe? Yeah. 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 
I, I don't. Do. I don't think you do. Well, thank you so much. I think you give me. Well, I. I that's not an insult. <laughs> Believe me, it's a compliment. You know what? I'm gonna go. You, imagine you came in and I was like, you know what? You kind of give me vibes. Like you seem like you'd be the president of a frat. <laughs> I would be like, if someone said that about me, I'd be like, I have to go. Goodbye. Yeah. We're we're never speaking again. We're in a fight. Yeah. When you but so when you were in school, so you were saying like, did you start cl- taking classes during? Like you were saying you did improv classes in DC, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Washington you, Improv Theater. Okay, so was that the first improv class that you took or were you taking classes prior to going to college? So uh, it was the first like structured improv class okay. I've taken, but in high school, like after the, the SNL. Claim to fame. Yeah, the, the famous SNL reproduction, which by the way, I, I'm so pissed because Miles Teller hosted SNL a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago and like obviously he has the career I want and whatever Miles I know you're listening um, I'm <laughs> he's, proud he's of you he's the shit uh, yeah he's great whatever um, I wish him well but he <laughs> he opened it with his monologue he was like you know I've been a fan of SNL for years and the first time I ever performed was I did the Spartan cheerleader sketch with my sister and of course I played the girl role and then they showed video from it and I was like turn it off turn it off I would have been triggered this man is taking my life and did, my story did they did they record your do you have video of it, your Spartan It exists somewhere, for sure. I don't know. So this means that you and Miles Teller, like... Are the same. You guys have a connection. Yeah. Wow. I think we're the same person. I think he's a big fan of him. Well, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. I, yeah. I'm a big sci-fi person, and he was in Divergent. I don't know oh, if you right. watch any of the Divergent. I don't. I do it's not. embarrassing how much I love it. It's literally like young adult sci-fi. Yeah. It's my shit. He's a good actor. He, I've auditioned for many of the roles that he's booked, so really? I, I'm very proud of him. Like, I'm proud of him, but yeah. fuck him also. If he wasn't there, I probably would have been that person. <laughs> um, yeah, I wish him well. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, we anyway, were talking. We were, yeah, okay. So after the after the uh, after the Spartan Julius thing, um, I joined this. It's not community theater, but it was like it was called the Theater Artists Workshop in in Norwalk, Connecticut, where I grew up. And because we're a suburb of New York, a lot of you know retired or older actors would put together this group, the Theater Artists Workshop, where they would every week meet and workshop things they were writing or scenes they wanted to do, and. Uh, I was, I, they invited me to come and I was the youngest member by maybe 40 years. I mean, it, it was, holy you know, shit. yeah, I mean, it was me, I was 15 and then it was like 50, 60 year old people who, so you were invited to join this group. Yes. You to, well, first I was invited because they needed a young performer. And then, so I would sort of like, that was like a, a learning experience and a great playground as it were to, to learn acting and they would do games and stuff. And then. My high school, I went to a public high school. It was like the second high school in town. There was Norwalk High School and then there was Brian McMahon High School. And I went to McMahon, which was underfunded and underserved. And so Norwalk High had these $10,000 musicals every year. We didn't have a drama program. Oh, shit. And so these four women, we called the Drama Mamas, started a drama club at Brian McMahon. And we, uh, when we first started we didn't have like the rights to any shows. So we would just meet once or twice a week and do improv games and, and practice that. So that was like my first exposure to it. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and then we did like little sketch vignettes. I didn't know it was sketch comedy at the time, but like, that's what we would do. Um, and then my senior year, we actually did a full production, which was great. Okay. But, um, so by the time that you went, got, you were in college, you kind of like had a, a taste for 
levels of improv, yes, if you will. Exactly. Like, yeah. Cause it wasn't like a legitimate course, but it was something close to it where you like went into the improv class and probably were like, okay, I've done some of these, some of these warm ups before zip zap. I know how to zip and zap. <laughs> I'm working on my zap. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So that, that was like, you know, familiar to me. And, um, and then when I moved to New York after college, I did the UCB, you know, course. How, how was your um, how was your experience at taking UCB courses? It was pleasant. I, I mean, it, it's fun. I so my thing with improv is like I have so much respect for people who do long form improv well, which is a small percentage of the people who do long form improv. But they, I, I mean, it's it's wonderful, especially musical improv. I mean, it, it's oh, incredible. that's I love. Yeah. I think that's insane. I've or, always or, wanted to do that, but I'm scared. Yeah, I mean, it's intimidating. It's so. I think once you sort of crack the formula, but I mean, it's it's a it's an amazing skill. And same with like the Shakespearean improv. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Where I didn't they know like that Basically, do improv in iambic pentameter. It's it's mind blowing, and I I have so much respect for it. And I, as an actor, I respect improv as a skill and as a tool uh, and a resource when you're trying to write or create or find a character. But I just don't love performing improv. So I enjoy the classes. But I just, it wasn't, I prefer like have writing, exploring comedy, tweaking it and, and rehearsing it and polishing it and performing it. It's just more interesting to me. Okay. But it's funny. I do feel like taking improv as much as people, not everyone, but some people kind of give it like it has like a bad rap, I think, just because it is like maybe awkward or if you're bad, it's like really bad. You know what I mean? But I think like... Even I'll speak for myself, like taking, I've only taken a handful, like I'm significantly less than you've taken in terms of improv courses, but it really helps you in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Like it helps you with just kind of like thinking on your feet and being able to kind of rely on a partner and things like that. And then it kind of drives you being like, okay, this might not be my thing, but I love that I can maybe write a sketch. And like, if there's like a last minute thing that needs like more of a in the moment shifts like you're able to kind of think on your feet in that way so it is really nice and i do think it's such a like i would recommend anyone to take improv even if even if they weren't in entertainment or if Mm -hmm. they didn't even want to perform like i've said this a few episodes ago but i the first improv class i took at the pit the people improv theater was like most of my class was just doing it to like help with their confidence right? and putting themselves out there. And I was just, I kind of was in that similar state. I just did it to kind of like, it was almost like a mental health thing. Like mm-hmm. work was really sucking literally my soul. And I was just like, I need something else. So to be able to be in an atmosphere where there's people of like all different ages and backgrounds and intentions, it made it so much more empowering to do it. So I feel like it makes sense with what you're saying. Like even like all the UCB courses, it probably was like, okay, so I like this, but I'm not a fan of this. Like yeah. I'm kind of like picking and choosing the parts of the comedy world that you like wanted to kind of gear toward, especially right. as an actor. So that must've been really interesting for you to kind of learn every time you took a course. Absolutely. And and I think so much of it for better or worse is about the community as well and the people you meet. And so I, I thought that was great because I met some great people, but I also didn't love the sort of clicky nature of certain, you know, schools and their communities. And like the, honestly, improv is the fraternity Greek life of the comedy (laughs) world. Wow. To to full circle it, right? I'm just thinking about that. That's kind of true. Because as we talk about it, we're like, like, they did some important stuff, but a lot of it is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's also like, you're like, oh, like, 
especially really, I remember when I was like an improv one or whatever, like mm. 101, and I'd like go to, you know, like you go to the bar after at the pit, there was like two separate yeah, areas. Yeah, of course. I remember like I'd see people and I'd see them in their group and I'd be like, oh, hi. Like I try to introduce myself as much as possible. Um, I try to like push myself to like, just like, because you never know what you'll learn from them if you're able to be friends with them and vice versa. And they're like, oh, like what, what, immediately, like what class are you in? I'm like, mm-hmm. improv 101. We're just yeah. like the bottom of the barrel. And they're like, oh, well, we're in like the fourth year course. Yeah. And there's like a group of like four of them that you can tell have just been friends for fucking years. And you're like, I'm intimidated now. And they never turn it off. And they're just like improvising. They're improvising it. in the, yes. Yeah. I, during I didn't her- even think about that. Oh my God. During Hurricane, during Hurricane Sandy, I, uh, I was in New York and we like, we had lost power, so we bunked up with this couple who was on Herald Night at UCB. Mm-hmm. And so for three days, and they're they're wonderful, and if they're listening, I love them very much, and I won't say their names, but for three days, all they did was bits back and forth, and it was like, hey, honey, what's lasagna? Hey, lasagna? Oh, what am I, Garfield? Uh, Mondays, and you're just like, turn it <laughs> off. The world is crumbling around us. Shut up. That would be a good sketch too. Just make. I bet you they've done that. But like, just like a sketch of someone where like their whole life's a bit. Yeah, like, in a bunker, just like, all right, all we need is a suggestion. People are like rations, and they're like rations. Okay, great, thank you. <laughs> Holy shit. I think if I'm being honest, that's like a would you rather. Would you rather be stuck during a hurricane with a whole fraternity or stuck in a hurricane with five improvers that are constantly doing improv? Oh, Jesus. How old am I? Now. Right now? I, I, get, I think I'd have to say improv. Yeah. I know that the answer for you 10 years ago would have probably yeah. been. I've been like, My um, fr- excuse me, did you not see us at... Delta Gamma Anchor Bowl presentation. We can improv. Like, uh, best of both worlds. Bah. That's so. It, it builds so much. It's so great to like have that under our belt because you get so much experience that like helps you with character building and things mm-hmm. like that. And I just feel like it's so funny, especially for you, because like when you're performing or you're thinking of concepts or characters or even doing improv, it's like you can pull those different parts of yourself from mm-hmm. when you're younger, you know and. I think, like, I can relate to that. Like, even, like, when you were really young with, like, struggling with people, like, commenting on your height. You know, like, I have the opposite issue where I've been this same height since I was, like, 10. So being the tall girl was always, like, fucking the worst. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, like, could you see the skyscrapers from up there? And I'm like, fuck off. Like, do you know what I mean? It's just so funny because as a short boy, I was like, oh, tall girls. I love you. Yeah. No. For me, they were like freaked out. Or I don't know. Maybe they were just, maybe it was like they were picking on you and they liked you. You know how that was always a thing? No. I think they were just picking on me. (laughs) Like, hey, Chris, you fucking suck. You're like, I think she kind of likes me. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) No. Well, it was so funny because being the short guy, the shortest kid in class, you would always like, you know, find a soulmate in the tallest girl. And I remember man, we would have been best buds in middle school. Yeah, we would. So middle school, I had just there was a school dance. I think I've told this on a podcast before. There was a school dance, and I had just come from Yale New Haven Hospital, where they diagnosed me with scoliosis and told me that I needed to have a rolling backpack um, that Wait, I had I to had keep scoliosis. in the nursing. Did you really? Yeah, have scoliosis? I had scoliosis too. Yeah. <laughs> You had a rolly backpack. That made it harder for you. I'd have a rolly backpack. And and it didn't fit in the lockers, so I had to leave it in the nurse's office and leave <laughs> class early to go get it. Yeah, it didn't last long. Listen, I, I was like, I'd rather be crooked. <laughs> I would rather be bent over. Oh, my God. I'm uh, Yeah. So bad. It corrected itself. Um, so, and I didn't have to wear a brace or anything. But the day I got diagnosed, 
was like a dance. My mom was like, it was, I started crying and, and my mom was like, you go to the dance and you have fun. And it was uh, the St. Matthew's dance and we were all there and there was this tall girl and they're like, you got to dance with her. And they brought her out to the middle of the dance floor and they brought a chair for me to stand on and we danced together, just both like laughing through the pain and humiliation. Wait, that's so fucked up. And in my mind, I'm thinking Was like, that to be nice? I think it, I don't know. I I probably not. Who does it in middle school? Who's like, let's be nice. Well, like who? Let's put a chair in the middle of the room so we can gauge how short this. Well, man- for me, it was like this is funny because I and I get to dance with the girl and and you don't think like oh she's insecure because in my mind it's like why would she be insecure? She's tall and beautiful, and which probably wasn't true because nobody's beautiful until they're literally you know, the ugliest thing yeah. possible. Um, but she was like you were saying probably. Just as mortified and insecure. If about that being was tall. me, I would have, I would have ran away. Yeah, like pretty much. But you didn't, and, and that's so fast because your legs were long. Yeah. <laughs> and when, I did. <laughs> when I used to do, you know how you'd have to like run. I don't know. In our in gym class, we'd have to run the mile. Sure. Yeah. Presidential fitness test. Well, something like that. Probably not the presidential fitness test. That's but... what it was called. You didn't have to do that. Presidential fitness test. EFT, maybe. Why is it called that? Because, like, if you did it, you got a medal from, like, Bill Clinton. Pre- <laughs> I'm aging myself here. You're having a, you're having a really political yeah, oh, experience. You, you didn't get the Jimmy Carter kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my 30s, I swear. Yeah, literally. <laughs> no, so I, when I would run, though, like, I had a few close friends of mine, and this guy who ended up being my prom date, he, um, he would get physically uncomfortable watching me run. <laughs> Like, he told me, he was like, I just, like, I, like, for, like, it's serious. Like, he's like, I really care about you. Like, you look like a gazelle. That was the animal he chose. He's like, you look like That's a, a gazelle. That's a compliment. I thought, but he goes, I just, like, I, you know when you watch awkward things happen and they make you cringe? Mm-hmm. That's how he felt watching me run. <laughs> so he was kind of like, I just, for my sake, just around me, please try not to run. That is, who is it? And you dated for how long? We didn't even date. We were just <laughs> friends. We went to prom together. He asked me to prom by... He asked me, I'm a, I'm a pretty anxious person, great quality trait, personality trait. He asked me to prom by getting me pulled over by a cop and being in the cop car. That's insane. How did he get the cop to agree to this? <laughs> the cop is the, is the bad person in this. So we, and we, there's a thing in our school called mentorship where there's... Se- <laughs> I'm familiar with the concept of mentorship in schooling. <laughs> there's, there's a thing called senior mentor. Okay. That we had, where all when you were a senior, only uh, six girls and six guys got nominated and or applied and like I don't know, really know how you get in, but a, a guy and a girl was coupled up to teach a group of incoming freshmen. Okay. So I was a mentor. So me and my partner were both mentor partners. So they were mm. try- all of the freshmen that we were teaching were really like trying to have it be like a high school musical energy, where it was like Troy and Gabriella because he was a basketball star and I was. Honestly, nothing. Like, I, I, was I had no talents. I was on JV tennis, never made it to varsity. Like, super unathletic, but I tried. And that is the that is the key here. You ran your little heart I, I gazelled my way through. And that's when he told me to shut it down. But he, one of our uh, mentor, like, one of the classmates we had, one of the freshmen, their, t- their dad was, like, the cop of the town. Mm. So, long story short, he, Jeff, looking back, like, Loki, definitely illegal. That, that I think... Misappropriation of public funds, I would argue. Like, I got pulled over and I was low-key driving to go pick up weed. And I was literally oh. 16. Really 
in retrospect, really naive way to go about that. But I got sure. pulled over, and then all of a sudden this motherfucker just comes out of the passenger seat of the car. He's like, will you come to prom with me? I was about to, like, punch him in the face. I got to say, though, that is pretty epic way to ask someone to prom. That's pretty cool. I know. It was cool. but I was, That means like, he was, liked you. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be funny if he really took it like all the way, and, and like, I was like, like you, like you had like a judicial record, and like, like I'm in like a jail cell, and he comes and he's like, yeah, I'm like yeah. I can't get into college now. You're third month in juvie, and he's like, hey, surprise! And you're like, what? The <laughs> it's fuck? the day before prom. Yeah. He's like, I have your dress. I'm like, I'm gonna fucking kill you. I'm like literally. Um, I don't know how we got there. We were talking about your freakishly long gazelle legs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Our height difference, it's nice to actually have the opposite sides of the spectrum. It, like, it is. Well, and my girlfriend is tall. She's slightly taller than me right now. And she was the same. She was like always the tallest she was girl the in same class. Height. And I think that one of the way, the reasons we get along so well and like connect is because we both had the same experience, but from the, uh, different angles, literally. <laughs> wow. Well, that, that's actually a good way of looking at it. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, because it's just like people, when you're young, your insecurities are always pointed out or people point out other ones because you're just like, I feel like that's a very middle school energy. Uh-huh. But I think it really carries with you when you get older, obviously. Absolutely. But it goes back to just like the comedy stuff. Like I used to joke about that. A lot of people when I was younger said that I looked like Cusco from Emperor's New Groove. I, I don't know who that is. You don't? I mean, I know Emperor's New Groove. Who's, which one's Cusco? Literally the llama. Oh. <laughs> So That's I so like I was like that really affected me as a kid. Why do you think? Because I do. Too long? No. <laughs> like, how did that upset you? I was like, well, but I, ever since I was younger, I was like, what the fuck? So I realized at a young age, I like had to use my like bomb ass personality to really you know kill the game because sure, I was sure. like, my looks were clearly not cutting it because mm-hmm. I was a t- Disney character. So then I feel like in a similar way, it's like when you get made fun of for a lot of your physical attributes or like it kind of becomes a part of who you are. I think like the the comedy thing, it's like it breaks the ice. Like if I can make fun of myself, then it doesn't affect me as much as if somebody else makes fun of me. You sure. know what I mean? Kind of similar to what you were saying at the beginning of the episode. Like right. you were like the stuff with your parents was one thing, but then also there is the aspect of being like when you're growing up, it's like, yeah, I'll be the funny one. Like right. I'll be like the like the the class clown or like the one the one of the friend group who's like the goofy one and things like that. And it's just kinda like it low-key molds you into where we're at today, where, like, yeah. you're able to really, like, be self-aware and, like, mm-hmm. see, like, where you're at. Like, would have, like, done, ha- been happy if I wasn't called Cusco, you know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah. I also think Preferable. I'm very self-aware now that I do potentially resemble a llama cartoon. <laughs> that is really funny. Yeah, so it is what it is. It is what it is, and it's also interesting, like, from a comedy perspective is as you grow and change... Because I'm not short anymore, and I'm not like as goofy looking as I used to be. Um, y- you you have to recalibrate how people see you, especially in your comedy, because you know, in my mind, I'm still that like awkward, funny looking short kid. But to people I meet now, I'm not anymore. Right. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're like I'm actually the stud muffin. <laughs> yeah, so. scraping up against five nine over here. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I that was a very valuable lesson when I was trying stand up for the first time. Yeah. Um, I was I had all these jokes about how, you know, I couldn't get laid or I, you know, I couldn't, you know, I was so weird looking and and a guy came up to me and he was like, "Hey man, the joke like another comic, he was like, the, "Your jokes are really strong, but you can't tell them." And I was like, "What do you mean?" And he was like, "It's people don't see you the way that you think they see you anymore." 
And so that's why they're not hitting the way you, you want them to. Wow. And it's not the joke. He was like, you have to be aware of how you're presenting because when you step on stage, that's all, that's their introduction. You know, that's, that's the first thing they see. That's their, like all, exactly. That's, yeah. for lack of a better word, it's like a judgment. It's like they're seeing what's in front of you. So when you start joking about being like, maybe like a nerdy person or whatever, and they're like, I don't get it. Like, I don't see what you're expressing. Yeah, which is why if you watch like, like any comedian's first taped special, they always open with a line like, hey, I, you know, I'm Chris Caffera. I look like this because my mom was Santa Claus and my dad was Norwegian. <laughs> you know, like, you know, there's always a joke about how they look or how they present. Um, I'm going to try that. And I think, and it's valuable because, and you know, I've seen guys, my type, uh, there's this comedian, I think it's Matthew Broussard, who's so funny, but one of his early specials, he his joke was like, "Hey, I'm mad. You know, I know I look like the villain in every '80s movie, oh, fuck, and it's so funny. And it it immediately like diffuses because he walks on stage and he's like this tall, good-looking guy, and now it's like, okay, he can make fun of himself. He's aware of how he. It, comes it makes across. you almost on the same team, kind exactly. of like you don't you don't see it. Whereas like you're like, who the fuck's like who's this like Chad about to talk right. about right now? Versus like setting this like setting the stage to kind of be like humbling yourself but mm-hmm. also just like leveling with the audience because i think that's always a big part of it like i think like it also depends where you're performing mm-hmm. like if you're at an open mic versus like at a comedy show i think like at a com like at an open mic no one's really listening to you they're just thinking about how they're gonna do <laughs> exactly. or how they did uh-huh. at a comedy show they literally paid money to laugh right so it's kind of funny to see like that spectrum i feel like i definitely want to i'll probably try to use that for my little recipe for stuff because when i was young do you know what i'm schmacked is no. Is so that a, is really that a llama quick. <laughs> is this a llama based uh, This is I'll give you a quick 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 story here because I feel like I keep doing tangents. But basically there is was an Instagram account called I'm Schmacked and it basically followed colleges and they'd make like movie montages of colleges and like girls and guys partying and it was like they'd put like Avicii songs over it or like fucking like Ray Schmurt or whatever the hell that guy's name is. Like they'd have stuff like that. So they featured me and my friend on I'm Schmacked, like the Instagram page, where it's mm-hmm. just like it's like bar stool, basically. It's like the right. old bar stool. So I was, they didn't ask to post the photo, but they reposted a photo of me and my friend who she's like a 10, like literally a model. And so they reposted it and I'm like, oh boy, you know, this is only going to go one or two ways. I'll <laughs> never forget it. Someone comments on it. And I don't even know to this day if I should be insulted or not, but someone comments and goes, she looks like she could be Miles Teller's sister. Oh. Which is ironic because of what you've been through. Sure. But I don't know. Miles Teller 10 years ago isn't Miles Teller today. Like, we're okay. not Top Gun Miles Teller. We're, we're talking like... Spectacular now Miles yes. Teller. Yes. So I, I just feel like that's something that, like, the self-awareness when you get on stage, maybe having a little recipe of that nature where you mm-hmm. can joke about yourself is good. Sure. But I don't know. That really stuck with me for a while because I was like, I think it was meant to be an insult, but it didn't mm-hmm. work. So I'm like, right. maybe if I'm like a mix of like a llama and Miles Teller or something like that, they'd be like, wow, this bitch is fucking self-aware shit. But I don't think you look like that. Thank you so much. So, oh, okay. So so this goes into the issue that you got where you got that feedback. Yeah. Because he was like, you don't look like Like a saying. llama, like a Miles Teller I'll llama. show you when the episode's over. You're going to feel uncomfortable because okay. it's I can't true. wait. I um, really can't wait. Let's get it on film. Yeah. And then this is actually <clears throat> the end of part one of the episode. Oh, no. So we are cut. I'm starting to cut these bad boys into two so I can give you guys like a mix of, you know, two sections of the episode. But this is the end of part one. So should please. We give, should we give a cliffhanger? Or, yeah. Like, how do we keep them coming? Okay. 
I, no, I, you're the host. You do it. I, I don't. What do I do? <laughs> I trusted you with my life there. Okay, so but when uh, uh, I, when we come back, I had a cancer scare uh, in my penis. Did you? Yeah, I did. I'll tell you all about it. Coming up on part two. Yeah. 